Welcome to Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he's com- Jack's complete lack of surprise, it's Arturo Zarita, but also joining us, Whoa. they're six foot five, Whoa. 220, and there's Whoa. two of them, it's Jeff and Karsten from the Karstcast. Thanks for joining us, guys. Good to be here. I like yeah. how y'all got the... Y'all got the twins, the worst I'm twins too. I'm gonna but. put that in my Tinder bio because that's not at all what how tall I actually am. <laughs> oh, but it's dope to have you guys on here for today because we got a big one today. Yeah, yeah, uh, we're really excited for this one. This is the second half of our home and away experience podcasts uh, with each other. Uh, we'll make sure you check out Carscast number eighty-eight, where Art and I talked about some of the best under the radar movies from twenty twenty. But on this episode, we're getting into the David Fincher movie bracket to determine the best David Fincher movie. Uh, with Mank coming up later this week, and we're all really excited to catch that eleventh movie from David Fincher. We thought we. Fight it out over what the actual best David Fincher movie is. So in a little bit, we will get to that. Uh, but first, make sure you're subscribed to the Intercut Podcast, either the video podcast on YouTube.com slash Pod or the audio version available on most podcatchers. Also follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at Intercut Pod. That's Intercut P-O-D. That's short for podcast. Art, let's start the show the way we started every week here with what we are watching what are you watching, buddy? David Fincher showing how he's willing to do <laughs> 60 hours worth of takes in all of his special features. Um, but besides that, because we're going to have a whole episode on this, I was able to catch Uncle Frank and Lover's Rock again. So those cool. would be my two little picks of the week. I don't know if you guys have been able to catch that. Uncle Frank is on Amazon Prime. and Zach caught that one at Sundance. Um, stars Paul Bettany and uh, I'm forgetting her name from it, but uh, it was a really cute story. Um, Zach, I know you know more about it. I know you were really, you're a really big fan of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought it was a sweet story written and directed by Alan Ball, uh, the guy who, of course, won an Oscar for writing American Beauty and has done True Blood and stuff like that. I thought uh, this one was full of really charismatic performances from a bunch of actors that I like a lot, particularly Paul Bettany, who I think shines in the starring role. You know, it's not necessarily like the deepest movie or the most thoughtful uh, analysis of what it's like to grow up queer in a part of America where uh, it's not really accepted or embraced. But Mm -hmm. I think there are moments that really feel genuine and sweet in it. And yeah, I like this one. And then uh, also on Amazon was Lovers Rock, which I don't know if you boys have had the chance to catch Steve McQueen's five episodes, five yeah, movies Carson, on Amazon. Think? I've only seen Lovers Rock, the, I believe, shortest one, one out of the bunch. I'm really yeah. looking forward to checking out the others, but I loved Lovers Rock. It was yeah. like a good case scenario for Climax. It was like a party gone right. <laughs> in, and I really loved it. I... Like, I watched it in, like, the middle of the day, I think, as soon as it was available when I was at New York, and even then, it just, like, completely drew me in. It's so hazy and immersive. I just, big fan of Lover's Rock. Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen it three times. As you so should. So I also enjoy Lover's <laughs> Rock, but, uh, yeah, that one's a really good one. I highly recommend it, and uh, it's still, 
It's I think it's still my second favorite, and that's to say a lot because Red, White, and Blue somehow is still on top for me. But uh, having watched Mangrove and having watched Red, White, and Blue, Lovers Rock is a completely different tone, a completely different vibe, and I hope that this one is is one that kind of becomes kind of like a cult classic to a degree, uh, just because the style of music that it has, but just the energy that it has. Mm -hmm. Absolutely loved Lovers Rock. Can't recommend it enough. Over on Amazon Prime. But uh, what have you guys been watching? I watched Hillbilly Elegy, but I don't want to mention that. <laughs> so whatever else you guys have been watching, I'll save that for another day. Yeah. Um, today, it's not a movie, but I checked out um, Tim Heidecker's new stand-up special, An Evening with Tim Heidecker. I've heard a lot of good things about it, and it is like one of the most... It's one of the funniest and most original stand-up specials I've seen because it's pretty much an entire parody of like other stand-up specials in this day and age um so i can't honestly say i'd recommend it to everybody because i don't think everybody would love it but i think it was very bold and and fun to watch so this is the one where he drags out the punchline but doesn't that's how i heard it pitched to me like he never actually says the punchline and to him that's the joke yeah what'd you watch it on uh youtube it's available on youtube for free so just uh, Ooh, search it up. Right, that's a good recommendation. Yeah. All right. Very mm-hmm. cool. Uh, Jeff, anything that you've caught recently? Yeah. So I have, I'm years late on this, but I've finally started watching Money Heist. Oh, uh, Casa, is that Casa de Papel? Casa de Papel. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I had the decision, as everyone who is an English speaker, whether to watch <laughs> it with subtitles or the dub. And the thing is that the dub is not the like Jackie Chan style dub where they literally just exclude all um, ambient sounds and just dub it straight over the top. They do like a good job of mixing it. Um, So I went with the dub just to start. And then the problem is that the dub is almost too good to where there's times when the (laughs) mouths kind of line up and you forget that it's dubbed. And then something will happen where like you just takes you out of it. You're like, wait, what just happened? Because their mouth then just goes like crazy with them what they're saying. So, yeah, How many seasons? How many seasons are you in so far? Uh, I'm halfway through the first season, so I'm pretty early. Good. Uh, it, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have heard that like the first season was. I don't know. I, I, I guess I haven't heard that much about it, but I mean, I know that it was very, very popular in like Europe and especially Spain, which is the native country. So yeah. the people, I know the actors became like massive stars there. That's probably the one that we're always being haunted down to make a video on. And I thought it was going to end on season four. They're going till season six, supposedly. Really? Yeah. So this yeah. show's never going to end. They, they're, they, Netflix has a heist and that's to get as much out of this series as possible. <laughs> yeah. They, they cancel shows like Glow and Left and Right, but they want 18 seasons of Money Heist if they can get it. It's one of their big international hits right now. Yeah. Um, which, you know, maybe it's a good thing. I, I haven't checked it out so i can't really uh say how good or bad it is and it's got jeff's recommendation i guess so it's got my it's i'm going to continue watching a recommendation i'm only halfway through one season so i can't really give a recommendation yet. i'm like you know what i've watched the first 10 minutes and i am intrigued <laughs> the the title sequences were great they didn't even skip them 10 out of 10 how far along into a tv show do you have to be to feel comfortable recommending it oh good question that is a good question i'd say the first season I've always, you know Really? Yeah. I, I say Full three episodes. Season? Three episodes. Three that's episodes. It. You get you get ninety minutes. In some cases, that's mm-hmm. three hours of content. That's right. yeah. That's that's like half a Fincher film. <laughs> Literally. 
That's like a tenth of his special features. Yeah. Carson's like, I do three seasons, and after the fourth one, I'm either I'm, contemplating. Yeah. I think it definitely depends on how old the show is. Because I can't imagine <laughs> that too, yeah. what, like a show that came out ten years ago recommending someone after three episodes. <laughs> like, if it's really <laughs> old, I think you have to have seen the entire run. For sure. Yeah, I watched the first three Sopranos. It's really great so far. <laughs> highly recommend it. I, three seems like the classic. Like you've you've watched the pilot, you've watched how they've res- gone on after the pilot, and now they're starting to settle into a groove. I feel like three is fair. Although yeah. I've definitely recommended shows after just one. And now we're new though, because it used to be like okay, the third episode in twenty seven episodes of a season. Now it's like the third yeah. episode out of ten, third episode out of five. So mm-hmm. maybe it's a little different. I feel. Or if it's like a British show, it's like okay, three episodes. That was the entire series. <laughs> that was the entire <laughs> <Right>. series. <laughs> Uh, uh, so Art mentioned Hillbilly Elegy. That was one of the various streaming platforms, like Thanksgiving offerings. I think most of the major ones had some kind of big release. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the less said about Hillbilly Elegy, the better. Uh, Hulu also entered into the Thanksgiving comfort watch with Happiest Season, the oh, Clea Duval right. romantic comedy starring Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, Aubrey Plaza, Dan Levy, a whole bunch of other recognizable faces. Uh, and it's a mostly pleasant collection of very charismatic actors, although I, it unfortunately belongs to a genre of movie that really gets under my skin, which is like, would you please just talk to each other, talk to each <laughs> other a little bit, like communicate because this is a movie. I want to get over this um and i i don't know I, maybe it was just that i was sold a little bit of a false bill of goods when they were tweeting out pictures of the entire cast at like a gay pride parade i assumed this would be like the lesbian comedy where the family accepts them and not another coming out story so i'm a little bit in between uh being frustrated at i guess how derivative a lot of the film is and how antiquated some of the conflict feels versus just kind of accepting that this is like a pretty enjoyable collection of actors that are like in roles that are pretty good for them, except for Mackenzie Davis uh, in like a well-budgeted studio movie, you know? Uh, I don't know if anybody else got to catch Happiest Season or if they just participated in the Riley should have ended up (laughs) With or they should have been, she should have ended up with Riley Twitter discourse. Did you guys catch it? It's been on my radar. I do really want to okay. check it out because I know some friends who yeah. have been like, "Oh, this you got to check it out." Uh, so, yeah, I haven't seen it either. It's on Hulu, right? Because I think mm-hmm. it was supposed to go to yeah. theaters, but Hulu picked it up. I thought it was cute. I liked it. Yeah. I know yeah. you you like Mackenzie, Zach, but I you do, haven't but liked her previous <laughs> or her previous movie or the previous. <laughs> besides that, I thought he was going to be really big at a Terminator because she was in it. But I thought it was cute. I can see what you're saying. I think they just wanted mm. to kind of have the cliche movie. I think like that's just what they were going for. Yeah. Um, but no, nah, I, I see the frustrations that you have with it. But I think I had a lot of cute moments. And I think like Dan Levi, like. I think he's got that, his performance where he's able to make all these crazy faces. He's got that down pat while also being able to have these memorable lines. But that's also because he's a writer. I thought Aubrey Plaza was was dope to have in the movie. But uh, I think it did its job, like you said, of like arguing between the verses. Who should have ended up with who type of thing. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit before we have the the type of movies you want, Zach, I feel. (laughs) Sadly, that's just how Hollywood works. But I thought it was cute. Yeah, and I've... 
argued before on this podcast that like if a movie can make you laugh like more than a few times then it's probably worth your while so you know maybe i'm breaking my own rule here because it is mostly enjoyable it's just there's elements of the plot that frustrated me but you know I, i think a lot of people are divided on it and that makes it Probably worth checking out if you have interest in the movie at all. And then the other uh, Thanksgiving drop from a major streaming platform is Super Intelligence, the Melissa McCarthy movie that popped up on HBO Max, also starring Bobby Cannavale and some other uh, well-known actors. This one, she plays a somewhat random woman who starts to be haunted or stalked or whatever the word you want to use by a super intelligent AI program. Voiced, voiced by James Corden. Uh, Art, what did you think of Super Intelligence? You know, Zach, I uh, r- recognizing that this obviously was one of the New York Times top actresses of was a decade all time. I was really looking Century forward to so far. Super Intelligence, brought to you by HBO Max. Um, I did not finish it because I'm recording this podcast with you guys. <laughs> I just thought it was okay. But I'm not done with it, so I'm, I can't fully say my thoughts. You? Yeah. Okay, so I, I got to watch the whole thing. And yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I think Melissa McCarthy is a very charming screen presence. I, I know that a lot of times her comedy can lean more towards the like annoying, slapsticky pratfall end. And the somewhat uh, uh, ironic part is that a lot of that worst comedy, I think, comes from her collaborations with her husband, uh, the director, Ben Falcone. This is another Ben Falcone joint, uh, for better or worse. And maybe it is the best Ben Falcone movie that I've seen so far uh, in that it really scales back a lot of the gross-out humor that she does in stuff like The Boss and Tammy yeah. and just kind of delivers the the sweet character that Melissa McCarthy can be because she there's something very endearing about her. Uh, well-meaning, when she has that kind of well-meaning presence and more like her characters in Spy rather than in those gross-out comedies. Mm -hmm. So the combo of Melissa McCarthy and Bobby Cannavale is charming enough that I I think it's funny. There's a couple moments that I laughed at and, you know, yeah, it's a little bit broad and and, uh, maybe not the most, like, exciting new comedy, but it's easy enough to watch and good to watch maybe with the family. Dope. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I think that's just about all that what uh, all that we've been watching. If we want to head into our David Fincher bracket, the uh, meat of this week's episode. David Fincher, of course, is America's foremost chronicler of perversion as well as Nike sneakers. He's carved out a legendary legacy through nearly four decades of work across music videos and commercials into feature films, and has made I think several iconic movies that uh, any director would be happy to have just one of in their catalog in their portfolio let alone the many classics that he's already made Uh, we have a bracket of different movies organized by the release date as well as a section for a couple commercials and a couple music videos because we have to round up to get 16 in our bracket here so we'll get to our first matchup in just a moment but i wanted to start out by asking you guys when you hear the name David Fincher, what is it that you're expecting from a movie? What is it that makes mm-hmm. a David Fincher film unique in that aspect? I don't know if you, Carson or Jeff, you guys want to start. I immediately think of just expensive 
Like the feeling of <laughs> not in a Christopher Nolan way or in like a Avengers way, but like the feeling of like when you definitely not in like in a Sofia Coppola way. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a, yeah. Um, but like when you walk into like a Ralph Lauren store, you know, it's just very leathery and inviting. And I think all his How movies... How often are you walking into Ralph Lauren's uh, store? Jeff, I was about to say, he's like, y'all know when you just enter the like, Versace what, store? It's not a universal. Like, you know, our intracuties, they know. They, when I used to, you know, on, your, on, on Thursday on your weekly Ralph Lauren run. I used to frequent the Macy's downtown in Chicago, and they got a Ralph Lauren section. I would browse, never buy anything. But that's um, you. that's where I'm at with David Fincher. I'm just going to cover up the little polo guy. Yeah, I'm like, I guess I'll take off this Ralph sweater that I'm wearing. Oh. Yeah. Um, what about you? Tory yeah. Burch, Jeff? Is that how you well, feel? Yeah, I, I think, I think, well, first of all, where does the last name Fincher even come from? Like, was that a profession? Was it someone who bred Finches? One who finches. Hmm. I was gonna say maybe it is something to do with the bird. Yeah, yeah I don't that's know. my first. So that's Dar- Darwin's finches, maybe. <laughs> Could be. He, he, he collected the, the finches questions. for he collected the finches for Darwin. Yeah. <laughs> it says that Fincher is a name that first reached England in the Norman Conquest of 1066. So interesting. It seems like it's a name that dates back through wow. English lore. Yeah. And then I mean, the conquest continued into American cinema. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there you go. I mean, his dad, his dad himself, I know, like with the, the script for Mank, it was something that his father had started. I know his mm-hmm. father was a journalist, and that's why he did a lot of the stuff. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of the information that he got from Zodiac was from there. So, I mean, he's got this lineage. I forgot what his mom did, but his mom did something pretty dope as well. But it's like, he was bred into this, so. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, just because, again, the what I definitely think of with Pincher is uh, a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of, like, one-on-one conversations that are very in-depth about whatever the film is about. <laughs> <laughs> but in, but in yeah. a way that is not, yeah. like, corny. It's, it's always in a way that is very convincingly plausible. Totally. Right. I think the thing that you're talking about is like there's an ultra competence that runs through yes. his movies. Like a lot of his characters are guys who are very good at their specific job, even if that specific job is something you've never heard of before. Uh, and I think that speaks also to this reputation that Fincher has of being this technically proficient wizard. Yeah. I think the, mm-hmm. the phrase that goes around is like David Fincher could do everybody's job on set better than the person doing that job on set. Yes. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy who came up through ILM doing a lot of special effects work. So he, he's got an eye and brain for that type of stuff too, mm-hmm. but he's just so, so meticulous in the types of movies he makes and in the way he wants to present those movies uh, that to me, that's the thing that jumps out is, is like the, the technical mastery of a lot of his works. And I think in the earlier stuff that manifests as these really crazy computerized shots that like go up and down a building or like through the handle of a coffee pot. Mm -hmm. And more recently it just is these like gorgeously uh, dark and, 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 well-designed movies uh, that he gets to spend so much money bringing to life in a way that no other director really seems to be given that leeway towards adult dramas yes, sir. Mm-hmm. right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I think there's just a level that you expect with a David Fincher movie. Right, and mm-hmm. you always expect it 
like to the film you get that extra hour of the length of the film and that is where he uses like all these conversations so you get an hour of extra conversations per film easily dude in the special features for this bad boy right here mm-hmm. he grills the guy who's in charge of making the torture device because he goes why would you ever find yourself in that scenario he was grilling him on what a serial killer would do and he's like, I need you to think more like a serial killer. If you can't do that, I don't know how else to help you. And the guy was telling him, he's like, well, imagine before 9-11. He's like, sir, we're 10 years post 9-11. This man is so to a degree of what you would do when a serial killer picks you up. Like, that's how realistic he needs everything to be. I was telling him about the paper, the plastic bag that he put over the camera and how they got that to work. Four hours in every single one of these DVDs just to make sure that if 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 screen junkies made an honest trailer on them or CinemaSense, <laughs> they wouldn't be able to find something wrong. Like that's the type of energy he's bringing into all of these mm-hmm. movies, and that's why he ends up getting like 60, 80 shots yeah. with every uh, every performance that he comes in. So love it or yeah. hate it, he <laughs> yeah. goes all out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a interesting thing that you bring up is that reputation he has for doing lots of takes. There's lots of. Uh, anecdotes about David Fincher and the various things he'll put his crew or actors through. Art, I know you go deep into your research for this kind of stuff. Is there like a particular anecdote or a story from the sets of David Fincher that you think is the just uh, epitomizes him as a director? Bro, it gets crazy. But uh, the one about Zodiac, where he wanted to keep doing takes and Robert Downey Jr. said, well, I got to go to the bathroom. He's like, well, pee in a bottle. So Robert Downey Jr. peed in I don't know how many bottles and just kept lining them up after every take that Fincher wanted to keep doing. He's like, if I can't go to the bathroom, I'm going to pee after every take, fill up a bottle. And he had a whole bottle of urine after the take what? was done. I feel like that's yes. so much and, more wait, inconvenient that's... than yeah. <laughs> yes. but 30 but seconds. Also, it was a literal pissing contest that was going on. How does Robert Downey Jr. have that kind of bladder control? That's what I'm saying. How can he pee a specific amount like just, and then right? hold it? And then I feel pee like before every take, few minutes. drank it, got the performance out. You're, I have no idea. He said, I am Robert Downey, and he just did it. Uh, it was like the craziest <laughs> things. And then you hear their promo like afterwards when they ask each other about each other, and they just go, great director. Fantastic. He's master at what he does. But then like on paper... They just grill. They just grill each other, and uh, yeah, I mean, you see it in a lot of the commentaries that he has. He's just always trying to go one step further because to him, exhaustion is when you start acting naturally. So you're not gonna get that character by take ten. You're gonna get that character by take forty-five. He almost made one of the one of the police chiefs cry in Dragon Tattoo, and at the end, he's like, "All right, you got it." The guy's like, "Man, nobody yelling, man." So it's like he drives them to the point of doing that, and. I'm surprised not more people have complained, but yeah, that, that I think would be a, that's one of the craziest ones, the urine bottles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's definitely gotten under some of his actors skin. I think Jake Gyllenhaal also famously did not enjoy his experience on Zodiac. Uh, there's that story about him getting the stunt person uh, from the end of fight club to fall down the stairs. I think he had him fall down the stairs 10 times and then ended up using the very first take. Uh, so, you know, Fincher, th- there's sometimes like physical damage to the yeah. kind of uh, meticulousness he gets, but he, he gets the exact uh, takes and, and vision mm-hmm. that he wants across. He, he's dedicated to it in that way. 
uh, there's another story from the set of Zodiac of how they were visiting one of the locations to recreate one of the crime scenes. And as the detective was uh, taking them through it, Fincher realized there were some things that were off. And he says, "Um, I think the crime site was actually over there. Yep. To which the detective realized that Fincher was actually correct. Yeah. So uh, that that Fincher is is that thorough in his uh, knowledge of whatever he's trying to go at is, is crazy. And Gone Girl, they changed the camera settings on him thinking he wouldn't know. I think it was Tyler Perry who did it. And he showed up and he went, who moved this? Like, he just <laughs> knew. That is who we're doing the bracket for today, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. David Fincher. All right. So, uh, talking about a madman's movies, let's get into it with a couple of his most iconic music videos off the top in our first bracket matchup. We're going to go with George Michael's Freedom! Exclamation point 90 and Madonna's Vogue, again, uh, two music videos. I think both of them from 1990 mm-hmm. uh, that are some of the most famous that uh, David Fincher has done. Carson, Jeff, uh, one of you, which do you think is the superior music video from David Fincher? Carson? Okay. Um, well, I <laughs> this one was actually genuinely tough uh, because yes. I think these are both – they're both phenomenal in their own ways, whereas Vogue, it's yes. like – iconic i mean yes right one of the most important songs and videos like ever (laughs) and introduced an entire dance concept to a nation many years before they were ready for exactly and there's the song is one thing but i think the video elevates it to this insanely like energizing level that it's like you can't not enjoy it and then george michaels that's just a ridiculous video. I don't even... I'm sure we'll touch on it. Um, but I think, like, personally, I'll have to go with Vogue just for, like, what it represents. I might be in mm-hmm. the minority here, but what do you think, Jeff? Yeah, I no, I, I agree with you. Okay. I mean, Ooh. I will say the George Michael video, That this is the first time I'd seen that one. I'd seen the Vogue one uh-huh. before. But mm-hmm. that was one of the longest music videos I've ever seen. <laughs> it's pretty long. <laughs> So keeps going. Yeah, it, just, it keeps going. Um, but yeah, the Vogue one is just it's such a specific vision um, where the George Michael one, I felt like by the end of it, it was just kind of a little filler feeling mm-hmm. just because I mean, which I think anyone would have to do when it's a music video and you just are, you know, shooting that many shots. But it's like eight mm-hmm. minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the Vogue, right. I mean, I, I, for large... me, it's, it's not that that one's bad. I just think the Vogue one is very good. Right. These are both like almost entirely plotless videos as well, which right. doesn't make uh, padding their runtime any better. I-, I do think there are some like very striking visuals, even still uh, in that Freedom 90 video. Mm-hmm. But, you know, both of them are very dated in, in the type of cool they're trying to project, which makes judging this like very hard. And, and I think I'm inclined to go with Karsten in that just like Vogue being such a more important video, uh, being this, you know, big statement video uh, when it came out and, and having that legacy, it, it's got to be the winner for whatever his most iconic music video was. It was the top choice from IndieWire when they racked, I think, ranked, I think, all 56 music videos that he's done. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have gotten Freedom. All right. So, oh, wow. why? Here we go. <laughs> so, so Fincher's a troll. And what he did with that video was he had a bunch of models lip sync. 
because he said all you need to do is have models lip syncing it and it'll be number one on MTV. It was number one on MTV because that's all he had him do. But I, Madonna is the better video, but there was like a story George Michael said about how after that tour that he did where he was really famous, he was exhausted, but he knew he wanted to come out and he didn't know how to do it. So with this song, what the lyrics represent and everything, he was able to do that in a very symbolic way. And him and Fincher talked about how he was going to showcase that in the visual form before he actually came out. And then like what the song represents for today, like I feel like story is better, but the music video for Vogue is it won him, you know, not best director at the Oscars, but he got that best director at an MTV award. So, uh, and I think it, it is definitely more iconic and it is a better video, but I, I like what like freedom represented to both of the artists mm-hmm. and like what they were trying to do. For sure. Cool, cool. All right. Well argued, but we are going with Madonna's <laughs> Vogue here. Uh, and we're going to move on to commercials because David Fincher actually has a very prolific career, surprisingly, it's in crazy. the commercial world. He's done like... 20-something Nike commercials, yep. a whole bunch of commercials uh, for for uh, Gap and uh, uh, other companies. He had his uh, own company, Propaganda Films. That was his own company. Right, right. I think Propaganda is still his production outfit. Is, is it, it still going? I hope so. I don't know. I remember he just did a lot of commercials through that, especially the cancer one. I don't know if we, we don't have it in here, yeah. but did you guys ever see the cancer, or sorry, the lung, <laughs> the, the fetus in yeah. the mother's womb? Smoking a cigarette. No. Yeah, I, sh- I should send this to Jeff and Carson before we finish recording here. But uh, he did this vi- iconic American Cancer Society video. It's just, zooming. It's just frightening <laughs> and gross in the kind of way that like, yeah, that definitely came from David Fincher's yeah. mind. That and it was sense. supposed to be a warning. And he said, I thought it was funny. And then he laughs, <laughs> when reminiscing it. But I'll send it to you afterwards. So you can fall asleep yeah. tightly tonight. All right. So the two commercials that we decided to spotlight here are the Heineken beer run ad featuring Brad Pitt and the Nike Fate commercial featuring Troy Palomalu and is this one Sean Merriman or no, no I think it was LT Robinson. yeah yeah it was yeah. LT yeah uh, so two really interesting commercials here Jeff which one do you think is the better or maybe mm-hmm. best David Fincher commercial um yeah this was I mean this was tough because these are two. I mean, stylistically different. I mean, obviously, I think a commercial, you're going to have an inherent bias towards if you like the, the product or not. Um, but I don't know. I always have, like, a weird soft spot for, like, somehow, like, coming-of-age stories that are somehow done in a commercial effectively. I feel you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I have to go with the Nike one. Woo. Yeah, it, it's a pretty crazy, ambitious idea for a for a one-minute yeah. ad. Yeah. Uh, that, that you follow the lives of these two NFL players until and they there's two. literally collide it's not even on just the one. field. Yeah, right. Uh, and it's kind of kind of gorgeous in the way it's done. That just last little coda of like the babies falling back into their beds, I think, is is pretty great. Uh, Heidekin beer run ad is a lot of fun too, Carson. I, I feel like that's <laughs> where you're leading. Yeah, fight for it. Yeah, I I mean I can't. I think I'm gonna lose here the more we talk about this. But I do think he loves beer. That's Carson's argument. Right. I just love a good Heineken. But <laughs> love a good Heine. Uh, no, the beer run commercial is upon watching it. I think one of my favorite commercials. It is so funny and and mm-hmm. so. Let me bring it back to what I described Fincher as earlier. Like it's just got this like classy kind of like sexy style to it where it's like yeah i'll go get a beer i didn't go get a beer it was like 11 in the morning when i saw this but i was like this is 
such a perfectly paced and ridiculous commercial. The, the fact that it was just waves of paparazzi and the way it kept mm-hmm. escalating, I was like, this is this is brilliant. Um, and the Nike commercial is great. I love it. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just I think I'll I'll rewatch that that beer runner commercial a few more times in my life. <laughs> uh, it was somewhat widely reported that at a certain point, uh, Brad Pitt was recruiting David Fincher in hopes of getting him to direct World War Z 2. Oh. And I like to think of this Heineken beer and as, as the prequel yeah, to World yeah. War Z. That's <laughs> it's hilarious. What's funny is that the the Heineken commercial, I think, came out in 05, right? And it's like, if you look at Fincher, he's a genius because he's like, damn, I really want to, you know, heighten these special effects. And he hadn't done Zodiac yet. And with this, he's like, man, what's a short form product that has a sponsor that would give me a lot of money to be able to test something out? And so the VFX reel that they have for all the people who are like mounding to go see Brad Pitt would have been practice for what he would eventually do in Zodiac. So it was almost like a test reel. Disney would call that the Lion King. <laughs> but David Fincher practically like finds these commercials. He's able to have all this money to test something out. And it's what he did in those VFX reels for that commercial that he was able to do for San Francisco and Zodiac. Uh, so it's like, yeah. he's a genius. He, he knows he knows exactly what he's for doing. Sure. I got to go to the Nike commercial, though. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Still even right <laughs> at the... It's just a little more story there. That's fair. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Nike commercial as well. It's <laughs> hey. a pretty beautiful right. minute there. We'll get a but Heineken. Definitely the, check the out time. the Heineken beer run ad. It's really Another good. loss for alcohol. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, we're going to get into some of the movies here. Let's start it out with the matchup Fight Club versus Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Of course, the American Girl with the Dragon Tattoo I have a feeling that this one is going to go Fight Club's way, considering it's maybe the most iconic Fincher movie. But is are there anyone? Is there anybody who wants to defend Girl with the Dragon Tattoo here? No. It's a good movie, but yeah, you're you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, he goes yeah. too far in it. Like there are some things that he does, some sequences. If you remember the movie, when you realize well how they did it behind the scenes, they went all the way. And they went all the way with the amount of multiple takes that Fincher does. And it's just crazy to think they signed for a three-movie deal, and it didn't mm-hmm. go through. Like, they ended up making a sequel with, I think, um, the actress from The Crown. Uh, yeah. You know? And but it fell through. Yeah. He actually yeah. thought he was going to do a franchise, a rated R franchise. And then, then they got a copy of it, and they're like, yeah, you're not coming back <laughs> for the sequel. So... It is absolutely insane that Fincher got the money he was given to make this deeply disturbed mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really respect the audacity to make something as crazy and fucked up as this movie is at many, many points. You know what's crazy about uh, it? Yeah. The blood, all the blood used in the movie is CGI. Okay, I thought that you were going to say it was real. <laughs> no. <laughs> Right? Like, that's where, that's where it almost feels like we're going with this man. But it's like, he, I got you know, it's actually worse when you realize why he does it in CGI. It's because the continuity would have been messed up, and he wants to do his 60 takes. So mm-hmm. it's CGI, he's able to do <laughs> yeah. that. Including the thing that she has on her hair. Like, her hair is clean. The little cut is CGI. Wow. That's wow. another thing about Fincher is that, like, you know, the, he's got this technical mastery over effects. And early in his career, that was those crazy uh, zoom-ins or the intro sequence for Fight Club and stuff like that. And and now it's just using CGI in very complex but extremely subtle ways that you wouldn't even guess by watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Fincher, Fincher's a master. And 
we're going to go with Fight Club here, even though Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is very good in its own regard. The next matchup is House of Cards versus The Game. I wonder if this matchup would be a little bit different uh, if there weren't certain public events mm-hmm. or, or, or public revelations about certain actors. The cards that uh, fall. Yeah, in the in the way, right way for this matchup. Anybody want to show some love to House of Cards, which was, as I recall, like extremely captivating for at least a season mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I just like even. Are you gonna go for <laughs> no? Way before like any of the things about he who shall not be named came out, I <laughs> was yeah. still really like not fully on the House of Cards train. Even just from this okay. pilot, I was just it was just never something that was able to grab me in, and so, and I actually really liked the game. So I think I I'm gonna go with the game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to talk. That's what our about wants to the hear. game because yeah. yeah, big fan of the game. <laughs> yeah, so the game is the one film I didn't, I have not seen, I did not get to. Oh, dude, I got to send you a copy of that bad boy. Somehow I bought the Criterion <laughs> Collection of it. I had no idea it was in the Criterion Collection. Do you know anything about it, Jeff? I know literally nothing about it. I'm gonna call it a comedy. I got to send you a copy of it. I. <laughs> it's a hilarious it, movie. It, <laughs> it so it, that's the thing. I, I think Fincher probably finds it to be hysterical, even yeah. though it's marketed as like a thriller, maybe almost horror. But, but it is so funny. It is <clears throat> deeply, deeply it's, funny. It's as funny as a baby smoking in the womb. <laughs> it's well, exactly quite the knee slapper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you realize what it leads up to, perhaps. But I will say this about when I was watching all the stuff from Girl and then looking at the stuff from House of Cards. Yo, he's got something against the Mara sisters, man. He pushed, this, like, literally pushes both of them to the edge. So it's like, damn, I can't imagine, like, both of their story, stories during Thanksgiving about how what it was like working with Fincher. But, uh, nah, it, it's got to be the game. I think the game is, I love it. Every time I, I rewatch it, I notice something new because he knows, you know, kind of like by the time that you're rewatching it, uh, what's going on. But if you don't know anything about it, I think that's the best way to go into the game because that's how i first went at it when uh the blockbuster dude recommended it to me he's like watch this movie <laughs> i was like okay so yeah the game for me yeah uh i think house of cards definitely had a lot of interest there for at least a couple seasons earlier on it kind of came at the at the crest of this wave of these like anti-hero tv shows and i don't know if it's held up quite the same way as mm-hmm. a lot of the other great anti-hero TV shows ha- uh, have. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's definitely competently made. Bo Willimon is a is a good writer, and obviously you have Fincher's eye, but yeah, I think the game is more interesting, and uh, I, I, it's one of the ones that I had to actually catch up with for this video, and I kind of loved it. I'm I glad it you guys like it. Great. Loved it. I cannot yeah. wait to watch it again. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we're going with the game in that matchup. The next matchup is, at least for me, the hardest of the first round. Seven versus Gone Girl. Is anybody going to go for Gone Girl here? Yeah. I thought, I thought, I thought this I was going to be... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, Carson. I love Seven. I love Seven. Seven's yeah. like a classic, especially just like the last 20 minutes of that movie. But Gone Girl is so unforgettable and so it is like I, the closest thing I can compare it to. And this happens with a lot of movies is like Parasite, where I'm so excited for other people to mm-hmm. watch it because it's just got a lot of fun twists that you don't really see coming that it plants really well. 
And mm-hmm. for its length, it's never boring. It is one of, and that's the case with a lot of his work that he he's he's allowed to get away with those run times. But Gone Girl specifically, I think, really holds my attention at least. But we'll see. I'm not I, die. I'm I not going to die on this hill. But yeah. All right. I'm going to be on the hill next to you. Although we're both <laughs> not going to die on it. We're just going to stand on the hill. <laughs> but yeah, no. But I okay. I remember. Because it came out in 2014. Mm-hmm. Around I there, I think. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, but I remember there actually was this, like, Gone Girl zeitgeist where for, like, a month or so, it was, like, such a film in the public eye where everyone was like, don't spoil this movie for yeah. anyone. Mm-hmm. Like, there was, like, I don't know, it was, like, one of the few, like, theatrical films where I remember there being, like, this huge public, like, it was, like, a public event almost. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, Gone Girl has definitely had a, a very interesting legacy and has a unique place in culture. I think the way the book and the movie have sort of popularized the like cool girl idea mm-hmm. and I think the way that the film plays with being in the public eye and being at the center of a scandal is something that looked forward to the way our media has played out a lot in the years since the the casting of Ben Affleck in that role of person hounded by the media is also just a perfect Fincherian touch. So there's, there is a lot to love about gone girl. It actually, it might be my preferred choice of these two. There seven is seven's great. Um, nice view up from this hill. I won't lie. I, <laughs> it's pretty nice up here. It's <laughs> yeah. Seven ends on the climax of the movie, the audacity to on your second movie, which is really your first, because you told Alien Three, get my name off that. He ends it on the climax of what is, I would say, one of the most, one of the one of the craziest thrillers of all time, in my opinion. Yeah. I love Gone Girl. The book. I love the book <laughs> so much. I think it is perfectly done. I, rewatching Gone Girl this time around, I did like a lot more aspects of, of what he does with it. I don't know if you've heard the editing on what he does here, but he'll literally cut around performances. So if there's two people in a scene, if he likes the first shot from this person, but the 10th yeah. shot from that person, he'll go into premiere and cut down the middle and get both of those shots. <laughs> That's great, especially in a movie where, you know, the whole point is he's really looking at two, a couple who may or may not have built everything on lies. Um, I do like it more every time I watch it. This is a masterpiece in my opinion. Zach, it's up to you. So you're going seven. I have to go seven as of right now. I'm sure when I get married and I hope Alina and I don't go through whatever happened in that movie, I'll relate to it more. But seven, I think is just a masterpiece. I I love the way that it ends. Love the way that it ends. Seven is amazing. Uh, it's one of a me- one of many Fincher films where just the idea is really cool, and it's just, I, I want to see I want to see that idea right. Mm-hmm. Uh, really executed well, burned into your brain some of those horrifying images. I really love Gone Girl. I think I want to rewatch Gone Girl more. I don't know. I think I'm gonna go Gone Girl. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Art. Okay. I <laughs> agree that like first. the rewatchability is better with Gone Girl just because of the fact that the climax of Seven is at the end and you're like just waiting for this iconic moment that you already know. It's fair. It's fair. Also, Gone Girl, there's, that's like one of the, the Fincher uh, CGI things I remember is like, there was, I forget, there was this video I think where they showed how they CGI'd a tree and they just made the tree bigger. 
he's crazy, man. I love when the actors were like, at, at one point I thought it was me, and then I realized, oh, it's not me. It's the actor in the back who was sitting down. He wasn't sitting down the way he was supposed to. Yeah, Fincher yeah. is thinking think, in terms of the frame. I think Affleck talked about being on like the 40th take of something, and Fincher yells cut, and he's like, what did I do wrong this time? And he goes and moves one of the background extras just over a couple inches. <laughs> tells them to go again. It's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. But that's fair. Uh, yeah. I, it's Gone Girl's a good movie. It's it's solid. Gone Girl's really good, and I think Gone Girl's also just so much fun to mm -hmm. go back over and, and view with new eyes as we, you know, go through Ben Affleck's ups and downs or revelations about how the media are. I don't know. Fincher Fincher's very forward thinking hey, in those hey, aspects. Hey, Carrie Coon's first feature film. Carrie Coon first went straight to it. That's crazy. Our girl Carrie Coon. Absolutely. Was this bracket seated? Yeah, this bracket was seated so that the uh, the earlier a movie was, the higher seed it would have, with the exception of our commercial and music okay. video categories. Okay, so I was like, we I, yeah. we can't really tell if it's an upset because it's kind of arbitrary. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit arbitrary, but I it it might be an upset at least according to like the IMDb top two fifty or something like that. Take that IMDb. <laughs> Our next matchup is The Social Network versus Panic Room. I, I saw Panic Room for the first time a couple days ago, and I, I think it's actually really fun uh, the ways in which it keeps keeps you guessing and mm -hmm. keeps finding new ways to change the stakes and uh, alter the circumstances in, in uh, I don't know, it's just a good edge-of-your-seat thriller, and you get to see a lot of Fincher's uh, playing around with what a camera can do and mm -hmm. what you can do with a computerized camera. It's really fun. I don't <laughs> think anybody's going to take it against the no. social network. <laughs> I, know, I love how you were just saying like, the praises of this for like as long as you could. And then yep. you're like, what? Yep. saying that, yep. this is up against one of, one of the great American <laughs> films of the 21st century. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I, I really like Panic Room, and I'm not picking Please. it over social network. I'm not, but... I remember where I saw this movie. You can see my half-price books bought DVD that I've had. Uh, I remember when I saw this movie at a drive-in. I know what car I was in. I know what car seat I was in. Wow. I absolutely love this movie. Uh, mm -hmm. And I remember watching one of the Criterion stuff. He talked about how, to him, this is his Haunted House movie. Because mm -hmm. he doesn't find Haunted House scary. He thinks it's scarier if someone comes into your house and burglarizes it. And he's like, that's what I like. He's like, it's like, a, mm -hmm. it's like the worst possession you can think of. Uh, I think it's a dope movie. Catch it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let y'all fit it, but this is the greatest movie of all <laughs> this, this might as well just end the bracket right here. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Just okay, the, oh. the way you said that, though, with Panic Room was you said you remember what car seat you were in, and I was imagining <laughs> you in, like, a child car seat. <laughs> watching Panic Room? I was. I, I was a like, kid watching that How old were room. you when you saw Panic Room? <laughs> when Panic Room come out? Because this came out, like, 2002? Yeah, that's an old one. Is that right? One? 2002. I was a... Why do I remember all the years Nine? these came out? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I was a child. I remember when You're I saw this a movie. just for release dates, apparently. It, it was funny because for the social network in the behind the scenes, Aaron Sorkin goes, the reason I write is because I was nine years old and my parents took me to Broadway to go see uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I didn't know what was going on, but I like how it sounded. So that's why people say I'm not good at plot, because I just always try to mimic what I've heard in Virginia Woolf. I like how it sounded. <laughs> So that was nine-year-old me. I didn't know what I was watching and how terrible Jerry Leto was, but I was like, that looks dope. That looks cool. <laughs> but yeah, no, Social Network's got it. It's a masterpiece. 
Do you mm-hmm. remember when film Twitter mistakenly thought for like about 24 hours that David Fincher did Jared Leto's cornrow in this movie? That what? That was, that was just a fun what? time to be on <laughs> Twitter. Was... <laughs> there was just this this like misattributed quote that was like, yeah, David Fincher did Jared Leto's cornrow for him. And because David Fincher is so good at so many things, a bunch of people were just like, yes, that makes That's sense. That's so funny. Oh, that he did it. Uh, yes. Oh. No. Yeah, that's... that's... <laughs> no. I'm just imagining him, like, walking in front of the hair and makeup person <laughs> and, like, pushing him out of the way. <laughs> no, it's like this. Uh, That'd right. be funny. Zodiac versus the curious case of Benjamin Button. It's interesting because Benjamin Button is one of the movies that has the most Oscar nominations out of Fincher's catalog. and Highest grossing. In a lot of ways... It, in a lot of ways was kind of like his breakthrough as like a serious director who people take seriously. But I don't know. I don't think anybody's going to take it over no, Zodiac. Are not they? a, no. not <laughs> a chance. <laughs> I Zodiac. We'll get into it, but even yes, we will. if when we get into it, uh, Benjamin Button, I think is just, <laughs> Someone put it so perfectly on Letterboxd, so briefly, by saying, this is a worse Forrest Gump. And I don't even like Forrest Gump that much. (laughs) And I was like, this is just, I don't know. It's kind of cool. It's like, I wish I liked this movie. Because I do love the concept. I do love, like, technically a lot that it's doing. But it does nothing to really draw me in. And I, that's where I'm at with it. I wish I liked Benjamin Mm -hmm. Button. (laughs) Jeff, yeah. no love for old man baby. I, okay, I liked Benjamin Button more than I think, definitely more than Carson. I don't want to paint um, it like that. I just, yeah. I, but no, but I think it's, it, technically it's, especially in 2008, um, it is a film that it feels like should, in retrospect, feel more campy than it is. That's right. um, yeah, so, it I is mean, a very earnest movie. Yeah, like, maybe more than any other David Fincher movie. It's very earnest yeah. in yeah. its beliefs. Um, yeah, and Carson said that a lot of people were saying that it's like a worse Forrest Gump. It kind of, for me, felt like a worse Big Fish. <laughs> that too, <see> that. yeah, <laughs> because it was this like weird fairy tale element of it, like in Big Fish. But the thing is that this film is, for this strange biographical film. This is the one where I think I felt the length of a Fincher film more than, like, pretty much all of the other ones. Okay. But this one, the thought of watching this entire life story again, like, fills me with a little bit of dread just because I feel like I'm just going to be sitting there like this watching him, like, <laughs> get younger while I get older. <laughs> Arturo, they're meeting in the middle. I know, right? Um, do, That's do how you I like... felt halfway through the film where I'm like, we're meeting in the middle. <laughs> I'm going to die at are the you, end of this. Are you a fan of Big Fish? I'm a huge fan of Big Fish. Okay, just wanted to make sure, because we're going to end the podcast right there. I love Big Fish. Karsten? I enjoy Big Fish, yeah. (laughs) We talked about Big Fish. Yeah, we watched it for our podcast, and I love Big Fish. Mm -hmm. It's probably one of my, like, top, like, you know, 30 or 40 films. Yeah, okay. Uh, But Karsten just merely liked it. I... I, li- I liked it more than Big Eyes. I'll say that. It's yeah, better big, than Tim Burton's like- Big Eyes. <laughs> but it's the superior Tim Burton. Big yes, exactly. Yeah. I liked it more than Big with Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Right. And also, <laughs> yeah, Big Fish is a much better, like, phonetic title than Big Eyes. Because it just sounds like you're saying Big Guys. Big Guys. Yep. <laughs> it's true. 
It's a My terrible part... title for a film. Yeah. Like True. it made sense. It's a smart title in terms of like what it was meant towards the movie, but it just sounds bad when you say it. I feel you. Best part about Benjamin Button for me is that I, I got another Criterion out of it, and I had no idea I was purchasing a Criterion, but now I added another Criterion to my collection. <laughs> nice, uh, nice. But Zodiac it, is one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, Zodiac's great. Okay, I'm definitely taking Zodiac, that. saying that. I didn't ever get to that part, but I'm for <laughs> yeah. sure taking Zodiac. But this Benjamin Button did kind of give you a good sense for like how old uh, Brad Pitt will get and still look super hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once upon a time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel it, like it that he's going to be very hot until like never sixty-five. Better in a movie. Yeah. Who said that? Twitter. Ew, Twitter. Ew. Wait, like when he's old? <laughs> when he's, when he's no, no, no. The, towards the end of the movie when he's uh, I young. will say, the scene where he shows up and he's hot for the first time, someone in the scene gives a loud clap, and I'm convinced that was them waking up the audience because they're probably asleep by then to go, hey, he's hot now. You can watch he's the movie. <laughs> Just had to get that off my chest. Uh, all right. Uh, so we're going Zodiac there, and their final first round matchup is Mindhunter versus Alien 3. Alien 3 being a movie that Fincher has somewhat disowned, uh, the only director of any of the uh, Alien anthology movies who didn't go back for when they did that like big box set. And he's a, ha, it's public. he's had a public uh, dispute over his lack of approval for the theatrical cut. Mm -hmm. There is an extended cut out there that many say is better, but I don't think that means any of us are going to choose it over Mindhunter. No. 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 I think he's on record saying uh, his experience there was like getting metaphorically sodomized for however long the shoot day was. (laughs) So I don't think he had a good experience there. Um, Mindhunter is a masterpiece, I think. Or or Mm -hmm. it has the potential, if it isn't already to some, uh, once they get the budget and Netflix decides to to go all at it, I, I think it's a fantastic series. Uh, I will say I just got to watch Alien 3 earlier today for the first time and coming off of Aliens, which takes the horror of the first movie and shifts it to more of like a a fun war type of flick, like maybe more of like a a World War Two type of movie Mm -hmm. that Fincher basically brings the franchise to like the Vietnam War with how how gritty and grimy and unhappy a lot of the action gets in alien three so it's just i think that's kind of cool how he flipped what james cameron was doing but it's just it's not that interesting of a movie and i think he just does a lot better work in most of his stuff and definitely in mind hunter for mm-hmm. sure so mind hunter advances to our second round and we're gonna go back up to the top it's madonna's vogue video <laughs> versus the nike fate commercial I think we're gonna go with the Nike commercial here. Anybody want to? I'm going with Vogue. Stand for Vogue? I was going with Vogue. Oh, okay. Uh, I think it's I was more gonna iconic. go Nike. Nah. Okay, I'm gonna say <laughs> I absolutely agree that Vogue is much more iconic. Obviously, a random Nike commercial from like <laughs> seven years ago is not gonna be iconic. Um, but I like which one I would rather watch again: the Nike commercial. That's fair. That's yeah. Yeah, I guess this is kind of the classic, like, do you choose the one you like more or do you choose the one that you think is more important, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there's any argument that the 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 Danian Tomlinson commercial from 2008 <laughs> is, like, iconic in any way. But I, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it maybe it, 
it just does feel less dated than Vogue does. I don't know. It does. So then we're we, is this our first split? This yeah, is how do we split. decide do we have Karsten yell to his parents and ask them? <laughs> I was gonna say I'm just gonna use the scientific method of screaming out to my girlfriend <laughs> and see what she prefers. But uh <laughs> do, do we go Vogue or do we go Nike fake commercial? Nike. You're gonna go with the oh, Nike commercial. What? No. The upset. Oh, no. What an upset. Oh. She just interesting, did okay. That. Oh. Oh. <laughs> wow. Just threw our whole bracket for a spin. Alright, thank you. Alright, that's fair. It's fine. I, I do like the Nike commercial it's a good more. Commercial, I, yeah. I, yeah, I feel more with it. I just did the impact on Vogue. I mean, you could watch an episode from The Office and they like spend a whole core, you know, they choreograph a whole sequence to it. But hey, that's fine. I was a huge LT fan, man. Like I, wanted to, is, I wanted to buy a Vizio because he was in the that, commercial. That 2007 LT season where he like was pretty much if you had him on your fantasy team, you automatically won the league. You know, I had that baby blue jersey. I'd never been to San Diego in my life. but yeah. I was a huge LT fan back in the day. I'm not going to lie. I just that's it's fine. want to say I had beer run going all the way up to this point, And <laughs> I'm just shocked right now that it's it's, it's a bracket buster. <laughs> really was not stayed, the route I thought it would up. He thought it was going to be the Heineken versus, like, social network. I had beer run against Fight Club, and even then I was like, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) That's funny. All right. All right, that Nike one. Cool. Going far. Fate advances. We get one more chance to talk about Troy Palomalu. Uh, Next up is Fight Club versus the game. Art. Love the game. Are you going to go with the game? I love the game. Just... I do have to go with Fight Club. Oh, I was about to I do say, have to go oh with my Fight Club. god. <laughs> you, <really laughs> like you know what? If all three of you say Fight Club, I'll say the game. <laughs> but no, I'll go yeah. Fight Club. Carson? Fight Club, yeah. I think it's, that's, if we're talking iconic, that's iconic. I've given it a lot mm. of shit, specifically its fan base. It's like a joke on mm. my channel, but it's a good ass movie. And especially after Jeff and I rewatched it this last spring or summer, I was like, yeah, that's a, that is an amazing movie. <laughs> so, so if it, yeah. 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 I still have not seen the game. Uh, <laughs> it has not changed. <laughs> uh, you see me like, I was just looking at my phone like the whole time. The You're like, no way. Minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, so I guess I think I have, should advance uh, the game yeah. so Jeff can just talk about not yeah. seeing the game one more time. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna abstain from this round of voting. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I think we're all gonna go Fight Club, but shouts to the game because game is dope, that dude. ending is is I think I just picture that ending and Fincher cackling. Yep. Yeah, um, it's so a perfect shouts ending. to David Fincher. Yeah. Okay, the the darkest comedy director out there. <laughs> Gone Girl versus The Social Network. I think a lot of people like to talk about Social Network as, like, maybe the best film of the early 2000s. So it's it's tough. But anybody want to go Gone Girl here? No. Isn't it crazy he cast Tyler Perry and people give him crap for that? And then he was okay in the movie. I thought I remember that. He was great in the movie. Isn't that crazy? Like, that's just a show that David Finch is like, watch. That is something about David Fincher is that he is excellent at casting his movies. He often can get, you know, career best work out of different actors. And Mm -hmm. I think Gone Girl is totally, uh, Uh, it's the epitome of that. When you look at the lack of roles that a lot of those other actors have had that are quite this dynamic. Doogie Howser was in it? Like, 
coming out yeah. of How I Met Your Mother, like to have to have him in he there. He also is- does a lot of that meta meta casting in Gone Girl, which mm-hmm. is cool. Like you have uh, Neil Patrick Harris playing this like Lothario pickup guy for years on How I Met Your Mother, mother and then he's just this sleaze bag, the opposite of that for Gone Girl. I don't know. Uh, a lot of great things about Gone Girl, but Social Network is an amazing movie, so we will go with Social Network here. And then Zodiac versus Mindhunter, the original true depiction of serial killers versus the inheritor to that legacy. I was going to yeah, say they're that pretty way. similar. Yeah, these are so. Yeah, these are the <laughs> most have, similar possibly yep. of all like Fincher productions. He said it went yeah, from absolutely. seven to getting the script because he did seven for this one, and then because of that, doing Mindhunter. Zodiac has three documentaries in its special features. That's how in-depth they went with this bad boy. I had no idea that 70% of the movie is CGI. Like, they're not actually, like, they're partly in San Francisco, but they recreate everything. Um, It's a masterpiece. It really is. Yeah. Zodiac is a masterpiece on, like, three separate levels. Like, from a technical standpoint, from a character standpoint, like, the psychological parts of it are the best Fincher's done will get there eventually. And just as a crime thriller, I think it's it's the best. It's him at his best with that. Like, mm-hmm. it's I've only seen the pilot of Mindhunter, so I honestly can't really speak on this. But okay. I do think Zodiac is, like, the, the mm-hmm. peak of, of him and his work. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like three hours long, and it always uh, people on Netflix just stream it, and it always ends up like in the top yeah. ten. It's like, why are you guys watching Zodiac? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a Saturday I night. Think, mm-hmm. I think we were just talking about how Benjamin Button, you know, at, at almost three hours long, is hard to get through. It feels like a slog, and I think this is the complete opposite. Despite how long it is, it just pulls you in and like sucks you into all yep. that. Uh, conspiracy and whatever about it uh but mindhunter i think is is really great in a lot of the ways it's, it is that really Zodiac good is great too there's a, a attention to the details of uh, of developing these cases and in getting into the nitty-gritty of how they get to the bottom of these types of mysteries that i really love in mindhunter the the way in which it, it's it takes like Mindhunter four episodes for them to finally get to. I think we're gonna say the word serial killer. Does that sound right? Uh, it, it, I love getting into the process with David Fincher, and particularly because he is so unafraid to talk about these darker ideas and really get into unpleasant material. I don't think. Uh, that type of depraved content is often given such a fine touch, mm-hmm. and I will miss Mindhunter if it truly is not coming back for yeah. a third season. I still feel like the door is open there. He talked about how the show might pick up like 10 or 20 years later, so that I'll, was, I'll wait 10 or 20 yeah, years. That's that was fine. the idea. Um, Highly recommended for you guys. Definitely check I, it out. No, I've seen the entire series. Uh, yeah. Are you so, picking it over Zodiac? I might be. Ooh, ooh, I like this conversation. Talk about it. it. Okay, so I think that (laughs) the plot development structure, obviously, of course, is very different for a film versus a series. And I think it's arguably harder for a series, especially just because the the way that series are having to even alter just because of going from, like, binging streaming from, you know, standard network television. I mean, you're effectively kind of making it this quasi super long movie 
but still having to hit these beats at the beginning and the ending of episodes. And I think that the way Mindhunter is structured is like incredible. I agree. Um, I, I think that the second season is one of my favorite seasons of any show. The first season is yeah. a lit, like a touch too slow for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, it's still, I still like love it. I still think it's good, but I think that I can see how a lot of people would be like turned off by that. But the second season is paced so perfectly. Um, and yeah, it's just one of my favorite seasons of TV. That one scene in season two where they don't show the guy's face as he's talking scared yes. me. It scared me so much, and I didn't even know why. <laughs> I was just like, that worked. That worked. I I think Mindhunter, at its best, it really, like, it can sustain that level of anxiety that you get when you follow Jake Gyllenhaal into the basement in that one scene in Zodiac. And it can sustain that level of anxiety over, like, the course of three episodes, mm-hmm. which is really incredible. I, I do kind of think that the contained package of Zodiac is so precise and so great uh, that it ultimately puts it over the top completed, of Mindhunter yeah. for me. It's a mm-hmm. completed vision. Uh, but that doesn't mean Mindhunter isn't great. Yeah, Sh- I gotta be honest. I, I kind of just wanted to examine me saying <laughs> Mindhunter, but after saying it, I kind of agree that Zodiac. Like, I'll, I would take Zodiac. I just wanted to see how it felt. <laughs> yeah, fine. try it on. Always welcome. Hey, shout out to right. George from Hamilton, though, from going to. Be oh right, that? I know. When I found that out, when I found out they were the same people, I was just like blown uh, yeah. away. I'm like, that is the yeah. most range I think I've ever seen on a person. Unbelievable. You, because King George is like the most flamboyant character, like of all time, and then in Mindhunter, Holden is like just the most stone-faced, like neutral person, and it's unbelievable that those are both played, like believable. I don't know. He killed it. I, I was going to say unbelievable. They were played believably, which was a <laughs> stupid sentence, so I stopped uh-huh. saying it. But sometimes when he he just Jonathan Groff exists in like the real world or whatever he dresses a little bit like Holden and it's very funny to go see like he'll do he'll go sing to kids uh like a song from Frozen because oh, he's also that right. guy and it's just hilarious to get the juxtaposition of looking at the guy from Mindhunter and hearing the voice from Frozen uh Jonathan Groff hell of an actor wow used to be on Broadway all right he's moving on to the next bracket we appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're in our final four, uh, and it is the Nike Fate commercial versus Fight Club. <laughs> All right, chill, guys. Relax, okay? As well as the Social Amen. Network versus Zodiac. Could have been Vogue. Could have so, been yes, Vero, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> so uh, shout out to Troy Palomalu for making the top four David Fincher movies bracket. Uh, I don't think he's going to make it to the finals. <laughs> I think we're we're comfortable choosing Fight Club here, right? Yeah. Fight Club. Fight Club's got yep. an easy win. Yeah. All right, so let's decide between the Social Network and Zodiac. Uh, judging from the conversation so far, I feel like we're going Social Network. Yes. Anybody want to go Zodiac? I'm going Zodiac, and this is the oh! this is the moment I was afraid for in this podcast because I was like, I'm gonna have to. Here's the. I guess like. To mention, I guess, pitting them up against each other, I think they both do one thing really well, and it's, like, making an audience care, which I know is, like, the bare minimum for, like, a movie. But I think Social Network, obviously, it's it turned this very important thing that was way ahead of its time, by the way. No one thought this movie was going to be good. I remember it was a fucking joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone was like, yes. Facebook yeah. movie? The Facebook yeah. movie? Justin Timberlake? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's, like... They turned that into a masterpiece of like, of just, 
I'm sure every you guys will have your own things to say about it. And Zodiac, it's like it took like the crime thriller to a whole nother level, I think, because rather than just forcing the audience to care, it was a whole movie about like why these investigators would care, specifically like Jake Gyllenhaal's character. Mm-hmm. And you can just see like a man deteriorate deteriorating throughout the film. And Fincher does such a great job at still holding on to the passion that he has for this investigation in in <laughs> I just that's something I really appreciate. It's just a whole different type of crime thriller. I don't think I'm going to win this round. I think Social Network's got it in the bag, but I would just like to state that Zodiac is amazing and that's I guess all I have to say about it. Yeah, I mean, these are two amazing movies. I'm pretty sure these are two like five-star movies for me on Letterboxd. So it's not exactly choosing between, you know, an obvious an obvious winner and a less obvious loser. Uh, Zodiac is amazing, and I, I rewatched it again for uh, this podcast and loved so much about it. Having read a little bit about how much effort David Fincher put into making this movie. It's really incredible the length of detail they get and research that went into it. They they took a book that was about Zodiac and basically decided we need to do more research so we can confirm some of the details in this book and, and went to go yeah to Crazy. these anonymous people which is so far and beyond what most directors would do when approaching a subject like this. Uh in rewatching it this time, I also paid particular attention to Jake Gyllenhaal's sons in this movie, who are approximately the same age that David Fincher might have been growing up in this area of California around the time of the Zodiac murders. And it's just interesting to see all the all the different levels that this the, the calamity and uh, media hype around this case, as well as the actual damage of these uh, murders. Mm-hmm. The like Carson was talking about the psychological toll it takes on so many people. It's so unique to have a story about a killer, but show the damage that happens to none of the people who were related to the people who got killed. Right? Yeah. Um, it's an amazing movie. It's totally worth appearing in the finals. I'm gonna go Social Network though. It's okay. <laughs> it's- <laughs> yeah. No, I. I mean, it's a very like Carson made. You know. Good points here. Great points. Um, and I think that I, I I think that Zodiac it would definitely be worthy of appearing in the finals if it was not facing Social Network in the semifinals of this bracket. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So no. social. Okay, network. I love how art though has literally everyone in this film. It's just like a revolving door of like different Blu-rays. <laughs> you kind of almost convinced me, Carson. This was my biggest matchup. I think this is right under, it's not even underneath, it's right there. It just overlaps a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost tempted to say this just so we have to go to another tiebreaker because these are honestly my top two favorite. I think this is better than Fight Club. If it was this versus yeah. Fight Club in the finale. It'd be an easy win. Yeah. Right. We're <laughs> I- I'm showing curious. our what? hand in the final now. I didn't want to say it until you said it, but that was exactly, you know? for me, those are the top two as well. Right. Have y'all seen this? <laughs> it's good. It's great. It's a masterpiece. Zach said it. It's two five yeah. out of fives, but I, 
the music is three notes, bro. Like, I don't even know what else to tell you. Like, I hear that <laughs> That is, That's a you great know what I'm point. About? That is a great yeah. point, yeah. The weakest thing that this has, I really, I actually don't like, I understand it, why he's there, Justin Timberlake, but I really don't like his performance in this. I think that's the weakest part of the entire movie. But it's also what he means. Zach mentioned how he does the casting. Yeah. It's also what the he represents. Casting. Yeah. This is really good. This is really, really good. It has to be social network. Can you say network. which one this social is for network. the people who are listening with audio only? It's social network. It's social network. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. <laughs> it just occurred to me, like, he's showing all these DVDs to the camera. And all, the, all they're hearing is swishes over the mic. They're like, I'm whoosh, sorry whoosh. to our listeners in, in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Someone's like, that um, sounds like the DVD for social network, but I can't tell. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, social network is amazing. It's going to move on into our finals, but... Watch okay. Zodiac if you yeah. haven't. It is so good, and it is so, on Netflix. One really quick aside that just occurred to sure. me that I forgot to mention earlier. Girl with Dragon Tattoo, isn't that, like, doesn't it give you strong, like, Knives Out vibes? Because they're both, like, taking place kind of in a mansion with Daniel Craig as an investigator. Christopher Plummer's <laughs> there. Uh, He was in Knives Out. That, that's <laughs> unnecessary, <laughs> unnecessary to bring that up, but I meant to bring it up earlier, and I did not. No, yeah. Uh, I did, did make a Knives Out when comparison they- when I was watching it. They were breaking down why he had cast him, and he said, he's like, if I, don't, if I wasn't able to cast him, who was just right off James Bond, they wouldn't have let me cast Rooney Mara, <laughs> who tattooed herself, pierced herself, and did everything she did for that movie. But I was laughing that he said he told him, he told Daniel Craig to gain weight. So he's like, that's fat Daniel Craig. I was like, if that's, if that's bigger Daniel Craig than at that point, like, I, I don't even know what you're saying for all the rest of mankind. Yeah. But yeah. I, I see you. Yeah, it really showcases... Um, how good of an actor Daniel Craig is. You know, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. take him for granted, but what he does in that and then what he does in Knives Out and to think that that's the guy who's James Bond, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. showcases his range. It shows how bored he is in every James Bond yeah. movie. As he said, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's oh. like shaking, not stirred, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> if I have to. All right, so let's get into our final matchup. It's Fight Club versus Social Network. It's early David Fincher versus late David Fincher. It's dorm room posters versus Criterion collections. Uh, I think there's a lot of fans, both of these movies, and they're very different in terms of their style, in terms of their aims. Uh, I think it shows the breadth of David Fincher as a filmmaker, how how different he can be and how great he is at so many different things. Uh, does anybody want to go first? What, what are you, you going to choose? Heineken beer run. <laughs> And the reason for it, <laughs> I'm social network. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's where I think I'm we're going. all on the. All right. <laughs> yeah. That was way easier than I expected. Don't it forget to, be. to comment, like, and subscribe. Thank you for watching this <laughs> yeah. episode. We didn't even need to have a fight club about that. Yeah. Hey! <laughs> fight club is great, though. It's crazy to see that that was a movie that flopped at the box office only to become one of the biggest cult hits, only to become something that uh, sold so many DVDs that they've made so much money from it. That when Disney bought the rights to it, that's one of the biggest properties that they own. I don't know if you guys know this. It's based off a book, and there's a Fight Club 2, and there's a Fight Club mm-hmm. 3, yeah. and they're in graphic novel form. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that ever gets um, adapted as well. I think the interesting thing to look at when we're comparing these two, especially when you said old Fincher and new Fincher, is that I'm realizing he went from being, and Fight Club's great, 7 is great, the game is great. But it's like he really went from being kind of a dated filmmaker, at least with his style, to achieving Mm -hmm. 
this very rare thing to achieve, which is like completely timeless filmmaking, like Social Network, mm-hmm. Zodiac, Gone Girl, even Benjamin Button. <laughs> like <laughs> they all, I feel like will stand the test of time, especially Social Network. That it is aged like fine wine and it's just going to keep getting better. And I think that's the thing that mm-hmm. really I can get behind it being the the top of the rank for that. It's interesting you mentioned aging and social network because it, I rewatched it for this and I noticed how in some ways it does feel like it's aged a little in just that uh, the way that we as a society interact with Facebook has changed mm-hmm. so much yeah. since that movie and I think the the things that it's talking about that make Facebook uh, what Facebook is have maybe changed a little, but in terms of it, what it's saying about people, what it's saying uh, about uh, you know people who who want the attention or the credit or have this unresolved trauma or something like that, I, I think it's still spot on. And something else that I didn't really pick up on on previous uh, watches of the movie is how much the blog post haunts Zuckerberg throughout this movie and how that is something that we see in in its own way with like old tweets coming up for people nowadays. So even, even in its small details, Fincher is highlighting aspects of society that are, are really interesting and aren't really talked about much in cinematic ways like this. Mm -hmm. But like you guys are saying, it's just a, a perfectly crafted movie. These scenes are so beautiful. Uh, it also helps that this is maybe the best screenwriter that Fincher has ever worked with in that he gets to work with Aaron Sorkin and he takes a guy who maybe writes overindulgent di- dialogue and pairs it down to the essential stuff. And you get just a really, a, a script that sings with its dialogue, but something that's beautiful mm-hmm. from moment to moment. It's got that amazing Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross Insane. soundtrack that we haven't mentioned yet. Insane. Yeah. It, there's ve- <laughs> very little. <laughs> we get copyrighted. The whole video's down. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. My bad. Yeah. There's, there's very little about this movie that's not yeah. perfect. And Sorkin's in the movie. Like, he does a cameo. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that Fincher, on the final day, said, Sorkin, you want to become a director? Because he was going to do Molly's Game. He told him to direct the final shot that they were doing. He's like, I'm going to leave. And Sorkin looked out the window. Fincher left. Like, he turned his car, went home. <laughs> and he w- and he went and he did, a, he did two takes. And he called it a wrap. And the AD went, you're going to get more takes or else I'm going to get in trouble and yelled at. So he just did the same take. 30 more times and I think that's why I don't like Sorkin as a director but I do love him as a writer and I think it was uh, again Sorkin also wrote Steve Jobs and Fincher was also going to do that movie but then Bale didn't do it so he bailed and I can only imagine what that was going to be but I think you know but this is easily a movie where I know that there's the aging aspect of it but there's also the period piece moment of it kind of like searching where it's like Mm -hmm. it's covering this moment in time and this technology and there's been jokes about it there's even it turned into rumors I look forward to a social network too to some degree because a lot of the stuff that they covered in this movie like you guys said it's been amplified to a degree like there's even more to cover now. There's certain lines that they say in this movie about what Facebook could do. And a decade later, it's like, you. it did way more than that. So, fantastic movie just all around. And I'm surprised none of the performances won. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's still probably the best Jesse Eisenberg we've got in the movie. It might be the best Andrew Garfield that we've got. Garfield in the movie. is insane in that movie. Under the Silver Lake. I mean, also good. <laughs> also have good. Not seen the Imaginarium so I said might of Dr. Parnassus. Amazing Spider-Man 2. 
just another uh, little thing about how maybe the social network is a, like a little dated. That last little bit on the screen talks about Facebook's now valued at twenty five billion dollars. Yeah. Now valued at seven hundred twenty billion dollars. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I would definitely be down for a social network too if we yeah. could get some of the same people yeah. involved. What for what sure. if they made one about Twitter and it's <laughs> it's just them sitting in a room saying, "Okay, we gotta we gotta put a message when Trump tweets. We just gotta we gotta warn everyone that's not real." Oh man, it's just about them unrolling Jack, the voice what do we do? feature. <laughs> Sorkin writing a TikTok one. Do you think he'd even be able to do it that short? Oh, but it was a dope. The bracket. whole the whole film's just TikToks, like back to you back. know, <laughs> directed by David Fincher. Uh, Carson, you had mentioned how you like to make fun of Fight Club's bad fans a little bit. What are some of the aspects that do actually stand out to you that make Fight Club so special? Man, the, the thing is, the thing that's tough to talk about Fight Club is that for kind of for the same reason, it's a rule. Gone. Well, yeah, you can't talk about it. But first of all, <laughs> it's two rules. <laughs> um. It's kind of for the same reasons it's hard to talk about Gone Girl and praise it because a lot of the genius behind it is in the original book. And yeah. I think Fincher takes it to a different level, um, sort of in the way things kind of. It also has like a really cool twist that is perfectly unraveled that I didn't see coming when I first saw it. Wow. Um, That's dope. <laughs> I was. Also very young when I first saw it, but I was just like, yeah. Um, so I don't know. That's the thing. I can't – I don't know. <laughs> My praise doesn't go that far with Fight Club. I do really love it because it's a mm. cool movie to watch, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. But I think a lot of what it's trying to say has been said better in other movies about, like, masculinity and just like the Joker? whole – Like Joker. <laughs> it's like it, – it, it was just a better Joker, if that makes sense. <laughs> I'm going down a weird hole now, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, that's yeah. kind of what I have to no, say. No, I think I think you hit on one of the things I agree that is you. really special about it is that it is a very fun movie. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's got this kinetic energy to it; it moves, and it's got so many just memorable scenes, memorable people, memorable lines. Uh, that um, that it's balancing this thriller that is genuinely shocking at moments with the social commentary and just a lot of fun scenes, mm -hmm. I think just elevates. It is, it is just a great piece of entertainment that isn't frivolous. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's elite Fincher. Totally. It just shows he's hated, but maybe not the best, Fincher. not the best, Fincher, but he's hated corporations throughout all his filmography. <laughs> That's the one thing I can say about Fincher for sure. Except for Heineken. Except for the Heineken one. That's a little different right there. He loves Heineken exactly. and Nike. Yeah, yeah. those are the go-tos. Every other corporation, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. All right, so the social network wins our best David Fincher movie bracket. Let us know what you think should have won the bracket in the comments down below or by shooting us an email at intercutpod at gmail.com or, again, reaching out on social media at intercutpod. Pod. We are going to move on to our final segment of the week. It's the picks for the week on the new 2C, where we give you a recommendation for what to watch at home. Jeff, do you have a David Fincher movie that you think everybody should check out, or maybe something else? Do I have a, like, of a recommendation? A commercial count? David Fincher. No, it could be anything. <laughs> unless, and if you don't have one, it could just be a Fincher 
Flick. The Social Network. <laughs> if you have not seen The Social Network, that should be the next thing you watch. <laughs> I I think that is for me the one film that I would point to someone to like give them the best feeling of America in the 2000s. I think it is it is a uniquely American Damn. film in what it says mm-hmm. about a lot of I mean like capitalism, interpersonal relationships. Um it's just like a film for like now. Or I guess 10 years ago, but I like how you put that. That was good. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, Carson, any recommendations for what people can watch? Uh, there's a new 2020 movie out. It did really well at South by Southwest. It's called Shit House, um, and hey. I Cooper Rife. Cooper Rife. It is. I think a lot of people would love this movie. I loved it. It was embarrassingly relatable. I mean, like the mm-hmm. the most relatable movie I think I've ever seen, and. That was good and bad. <laughs> so check it out. Yeah. Shit house. No lie. I was so curious to see what your thoughts on that movie was going to be. I, like I caught it. I was like, yo, this is a writer, director. He's in it. And then he gets to what he gets to. And I was like, oh, this man went super personal. It's the um, movie yeah, that uh, every yeah. freshman year film student wants to make and is told not to make. And he yes. miraculously pulled it off. And that's what I'll say about it. And one South by Southwest. Yep. Yes, he, he he might inspire a bunch of awful <laughs> film school ripoffs. There's gonna be a lot of shitty films. But. So shame on him, but also congrats. Yep. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like if I got to see this one when I was in college, like as a freshman or sophomore, I would have been completely blown away by it. Mm. it it's a very good movie, though. I would yeah. double that recommendation of Shit House. Also, watch Rhubarb, a film by our very own Karsten Runquist. Although, our, on, all I see on your thing is just Am Barb. Barb. So it reminds me of like Team Barb from like when everyone was mad about Stranger Things not caring about Barb. That's so going to be nice. kind of looked like that was what you were going for. Yeah. <laughs> Stream it on all, on all platforms. Right. Well, just uh, all devices that just have Just Vimeo. And yeah. give it a five star review on Letterboxd. Yeah. Yeah. Really boost up that average score. <laughs> God. I would recommend if you have Amazon Prime to definitely check out um, Steve McQueen's films, episodes, whatever you want to call them. I call it just one big here on Intercut. We've been saying that there is no difference between movie and TV. It's merging completely. Uh, And Steve McQueen has a five. Just going to call them pictures. That's how Scorsese calls them. A five picture deal with uh, Amazon. And we've seen three. They've been fantastic. We have two that I'll be watching tonight that were sent Mm -hmm. to us. uh, But the three that are going to be out by the time this episode is up. Yeah. Highly recommend it. They're fantastic. Five Steve McQueen movies in the comfort of your own home. If you would have told me when this movie was out that Steve McQueen would have five movies in the comfort of my own home, I wouldn't have believed you. But now he does. And uh, they're all great. And my favorite one comes out this week, Red, White, and Blue. Yeah. So I was going to say, that's your favorite of the three so far, right? Yeah, so far. So uh, highly recommend that. What about you, Zach? Definitely second that Small Axe recommendation. All three that we've seen so far are great. And... Uh, Lovers Rock, uh, Lovers Rock is just a delight. So uh, Carson mentioned that earlier. It's always a good time to talk about uh, Lovers Rock or the silly game scene, which is you know just one of the most beautiful scenes that I have running through my head all the time now. Uh, but my recommendation for what people check out this weekend is a documentary called 76 Days Ooh. that uh, just played Doc NYC. It's a really interesting film shot earlier this year in Wuhan, 
at the early stages of the COVID outbreak. It, it's documenting this hospital uh, and, and the activities going on as Wuhan went into their first lockdown way back in January of 2020. And they put together this kind of improvised care area uh, for some of the first patients of COVID-19. And it's so fascinating to watch these doctors try and work through the protocols, try and become accustomed to handling this new disease, which at this point in you know history, there was very little known about. Uh, and I think we have some ideas about how it was handled in, in certain, you know, by certain people or in certain areas of the world. And it's very interesting to see uh, just a first hand on the ground reporting of what it was like to be de be dealing with the sudden outbreak and how that was incredibly scary for a bunch of people, incredibly challenging for a bunch of people. Uh, but it's beautifully put together in this film. You know, there's it's one of those documentaries that has moments where it feels like, how is this not scripted? How is this how is this per a real person, mm -hmm. not a character that you cast in this role? Uh, it's definitely not an easy hang, as I imagine just about any coronavirus adjacent property would be. But it's a worthwhile one and going to be probably one of the documentaries that talk that's talked about a lot this year. I think it just picked up a Gotham nomination for best documentary yes, of sir. 2020 so i'd highly recommend you check out 76 days and hillbilly elegy <laughs> do, you, do you want to talk about hillbilly no elegy? no 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 no, no 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 we'll talk about it next week we'll make it topic of the week because i got a lot to say about that, right. them hillbillies all right, so I think that's about all for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at ZShevich, that's Z-S-H-E-V as in Vogue, by Madonna, I-C-H. Jeff, where can people find more from you? Uh, they can find more from me uh, at the podcast that Karsten and I do uh, that's called the Cast Movie Cast. Uh, and then also my personal Instagram and Twitter are both at Jeffrey Borslow. Um I'll, yeah, I'll, you can. You know how to spell it, probably. If you guess, it's probably <laughs> it'll, it'll be on the screen if you're yeah. watching this or in the description if you're listening to this. Carson, how about you? Where can people find me? You can check out my YouTube channel. It is self-titled under Carsten Runquist, or you can check me out on Twitter, Runquist Carsten, or Letterbox Carsten Runquist. You've probably <laughs> seen the the annoying green <laughs> avatar once yeah, or twice you, on that you, site. You know, you probably have seen it. Yeah, the green. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Oh, also, I have a YouTube as well. I'm just <laughs> hopping right on top of Carson's yeah, time. Jeff does have I just a I started. It's not really. Yeah, it's not really a lot on it. Like I recently did a video where I found a can of Coke that was 15 years old, and then I, I drank it while video chatting with Carson. Yep. <laughs> How'd it taste? It, it, well, the thing is that it actually was a kind of Coke that was discontinued like 13 years ago. Yeah. It was called C2. It was like not, it was in between normal Coke and Coke Zero. Um, mm. It just wasn't good. But I think, it, I don't think it tasted bad because it was old. It just was a bad variety of Coke that they stopped making. It's a reason it was discontinued. Yeah. I'll have to yeah. comment, like, and subscribe to yeah. see more yeah. about this adventure right here. Yeah. All right, for sure. Oh, no, definitely follow these guys. You can follow me at LME Explain on Twitter, on Facebook, on Letterboxd, on all that stuff. But you can follow all of us here on the Intercut Podcast.
You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of Intercut every Friday. And please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star review. Shout-out to our listeners who've left reviews and put us on the TV and podcast charts out in Kuwait this Woo! time. Uh, <laughs> like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. All of them are at Pod to get updates throughout the week from me, from Art, from Jeff and Carson, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, drop the the Just Intercut podcast. <laughs>